Uh, we're continuing our theme um, of fruitfulness on the front line, so you'll know that you've got one of these cards, and if you haven't, uh, we've got a lot left, and pick them up and put them anywhere, put them on your fridges, put them in your bags, and take them, and remember uh, some of the things in which uh, you can make a difference, because that's the theme uh, of the whole thing. You can make a difference where you are. You make a, an impact, uh, we said, on your character. Um, your character can make an impact to other people. There's an impact on your work. We spoke about that recently. You can make an impact on the way you approach work in a godly fashion. Um, and you can make an impact in the way that you show grace and love. And the common theme through all these talks is uh, it's personal. It's you. It's your. It's you making an impact. It's your character. It's you showing grace. And uh, that's quite an exciting prospect um, that God can use all of us individually to make an impact and help change the life of another person just through us being who we are as Christians. And it's encouraging to know that you can make a difference on your front line. And this morning, we're talking about that fruitfulness on the front line and making an impact by shaping culture. You can shape uh, the culture that you find yourself in. So wherever you are, you can make a difference. You can change the tone uh, just by who you are. So we're going to look at that as well. So we have the second slide up, please, uh, Martin. A bit cramped, actually, isn't it, looking up there. Um, but we live in a diverse culture. We know that. Um, we don't need to apologise for it. We don't need to be scared of it. But it's a diverse culture. But as followers of Jesus, we can embrace our divine values within that diverse culture. There's two central values, it seems to me. I mean, there's loads of things I could preach on and pull from the Bible, but um, one that always, always we come back to, the two goalposts, uh, if you like, the words of Jesus found in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's summing them up. Um, when you read the Old Testament, you see some of those books that you go through and the laws, and you know we love reading through Leviticus and things like that, and, and you realise, actually, Jesus says, look, everything hangs, uh, really, between these two goalposts. All the law that was passed on through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they talk about sacrifices, sexual relationships, farming, festivals, commerce, caring for the poor. And it's Jesus saying all of that is summed up. If you get these two right, the rest can easily fall into place. Love God and love others. No wonder they're called the greatest commandments. And imagine a world where they were, if they were really lived out. Imagine if we really, the whole world, really put God first and then put other people first. Uh, to see them through the eyes of God. Imagine a town like Billericay, where we really embraced that, saw everybody, wherever we walked, down the high street, in church, in, the, in your classrooms, at university, in your workplace, even in the home, you saw them through the eyes of God, that God loved them so much, he sent his son to die for them. Imagine a world where that's lived out. Imagine a church where we really embraced it. We'd be a community of people where, as Paul writes, um, the people say, surely God is among them. 
where we really demonstrate uh, that we love God. He put him first before everything. And then we're going to look to what's best for my fellow human being. Imagine your front line when all these things are lived out. Loving God, loving people, shaping your culture wherever you are. Now, my daughter Kaylee, I told her to come today because she was in the illustration. She hasn't. Uh, her boyfriend's here, I see. Thank you. It's nice, isn't it? Uh, my own kids didn't show up. Anyway, she works in insurance. Um, and I was, I was talking to her about this in the week, about how even in corporate life, there's chances to shape culture. And uh, I said, can you give me an example of how your company has been influenced by external influences. And she said, well, she said, Dad, we're here to serve the client. And part of her job is to get that business uh, into the firm. And so we, she said, we have to take into uh, account clients' needs and preferences. Uh, and against the background of recognising that we're stewards of the earth and the voices, this is not her words, this is me now, and the voices that have been vocal and supporting that has been, she said now, from the clients an increased concern on how sustainable the broker policy is. See, they're getting pressure from the clients. They're saying, how are you doing in this area? They're saying that they want to partner with companies that take this issue of sustainability seriously. And therefore, the broker's have had to respond and have had to implement and been shown to implement a culture of journeying towards more ethical and sustainable objectives. And I said to her, well, how does that work practically? She said, sometimes it's just the small stuff, but it really makes a difference. She works for a big company, I think Howden, at a parent company, a huge insurer. So imagine if this is gone through the whole lot. How does that work practically? Well, no more paper cups are allowed. Imagine that, that's thousands and thousands and thousands. Um, we're encouraged to either buy a mug or um, get reusable bottles. Uh, there's a real push on cutting down on paper and using more electronic, um, electronic means of communication. Uh, increased charity work. Um, she said we've sent teams down to help clean the Thames uh, of its plastic. They're walking along, and there's this, there's this wonderful movement at the moment, isn't there? It's a great illustration, not in my notes, where uh, I read in the paper yesterday, kids, children are being encouraged, you know, they're going around with sticks and they're picking up litter, uh, and there's a nickname for them, I can't think of it, um, but uh, maybe Little Litterers or something, I don't know, but, but they're being encouraged. I know when I go to South End, uh, sometimes, you go on the beach, and there's actually... Uh, points where it says, when, as you're picking up the litter, put it in these bins. There's this kind of general awareness. It's not okay to throw your McDonald's out the window and leave it on the street. And there's a kind of a, a, um, a wellspring of people coming up saying, no, it's not right. Litter is bad. And uh, newspapers have, have got um, hold of it. And we know people like Sky News with the whole plastic oceans and everything else. There's more awareness. So she said our company have had to respond. You know, so we send people to go and clean the banks of the Thames. Uh, picking up the plastic. We donate to Plastic Oceans. They donate to mental health charities. And uh, they encourage their staff to go on wellbeing workshops and encourage them that what they learn there, they can pass on to others. This is an insurance company that traditionally would have been about profits and probably still are, and they probably know they need to do this. But why do they need to do it? I'm sure their motives are right, 
But the reason they've probably really got hold of it is the pressure from the clients who don't even work for the company. The clients would have added to that impetus. So if you think about it, the clients from making small suggestions and saying, we'd love to do business with you, but we're really concerned about some of these things, they've shaped the culture at the broker. You see how that impact can happen. And for us as Christians, we love God and love others. We can shape the culture by seeking good for other people. There's a lot of unkindness around, and that's been at the forefront of the news recently. We can look to people and say, what would it mean if I really sought their blessing and their flourishing? And with that in mind, the primary test of any culture, national or organisational or family, should be, must be, if we're Christians, does this culture honour God? And does it seek God's best for those people that I'm around? Uh, If we can have slide three. A little funny. There you go. There's two queues there. You see the queue for complaints is busy. You're going to wait a long time. No one's on the gratitude uh, queue. We can be different uh, to that. We can think about our front line. We can think about what is worth cheering. What is worth, um, what is worth uh, building up? What is worth encouraging? Maybe we can cheer about uh, whether it's in church, families, or workplaces, wherever it is, uh, an atmosphere of accountability. You know, we're there for each other, of positivity, of being willing to have an attitude of love and grace. Remember we said a few weeks back how that can make a huge difference to people. That's worth cheering. What's not so good is the gossip and joining in, which is so easy uh, to do. Um, Or negativity. You know, I could do so much better, but they don't do it. Or bullying. I I can't stand bullying in in all forms. It means that we don't stand with the bully. (coughs) We stand with the person being bullied. Um, Changing the culture. I'm not prepared to engage in that gossip. I'd rather you didn't speak about that person that way. I don't think it's fair. You can change that culture. What that normally does is embarrass the others. Say, yeah, do you know what? You're right. You're right. Uh, she'll hate me for saying this. I haven't got it in my notes. But Andrew has shared me yesterday. She went to, went to Waitrose, um, probably because she wanted to see 34 church members there, which we generally do. We go there for an hour. We're there for five hours. We have a church meeting. It's incredible. Uh, but she said she went up to the counter, and I can't remember what she was ordering now, probably my nice thin sliced ham that I like, whatever it was. And she said there was a young teenage girl opposite, and uh, uh, I hope it's no one in here now. I shouldn't have said this, I don't think. But she said some old bloke came up and started moaning, oh, it takes so long, and said it enough for the youngster to hear. And she said, oh, you know, and she's only young. Whenever I hear anything, like I think of my own daughter, and I think oh, I wouldn't want anyone speak to her like that. And so Andrew loudly said to the girl, thank you for serving me. You've been wonderful. I don't think you've, you've taken that much time at all. And she said, we're all love and grace to me. I think he heard it. I said, good. <laughs> uh, but she, maybe she got that guy thinking. Maybe she got the teenage girl thinking, actually, I'm doing a good job. I don't know. Uh, but we can... There's all those opportunities that come up where we can make a difference for good and for God. Uh, What's not good is the gossip, the negativity, the bullying attitude, the cynicism that is around in our world. In Romans 12, verse 2, Paul said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And I believe that is a bit of a pattern in the world. There's this kind of negativity around cynicism. 
And it takes a tragedy um, to sometimes highlight the humanity that is in people. You know, the Grenfell Tower, uh, you see different religions have all these arguments against each other and, you know, to the point of death sometimes. And the Grenfell Tower uh, tragedy happened, and of course we didn't want that to happen. Um, But what was incredible to see was all the different faith groups, they didn't care about what religion they were, they all came together and they served for the common good and they helped uh, the people. Why does it take a, a tower block to burn uh, for faith groups to work together. We can have our differences, but we can agree to, to disagree. But the world wants us to be argumentative and prove a point and everything else. And Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed. That means to be changed by the renewing of your mind. Think a different way. Find in ways to help others flourish. Find in ways to build up and be positive rather than tear down and to be negative. Now I've got two helpers uh, with me today and I'm going to ask both of them to come up. It's Jane and Patsy. Um, hope Patsy hasn't forgotten. Jane's here. Where's Patsy? Oh, there she is. She hasn't forgotten. They're going to come up. We can have the next slide, please, Martin. And, and as you know, I've been asking uh, each week for stories about ways that maybe you feel um, this... this fruitfulness on the front line, could be worked out in practice. And probably all of you have got them, you just don't tell me. But uh, I just came across these two, and I knew, I knew uh, Jane's story a bit about what she's going to speak about. And Patsy and I saw each other in the office yesterday morning, and I said, oh, can you share that uh, tomorrow? So we've got a double act, which is good. So I'm going to let Jane uh, talk about that, and then you'll understand uh, the pictures, and then Patsy can come up as well. Good morning, everybody. Ten years ago, we got a puppy, Charlie, King Charles Cavalier. And as we walked Charlie up our street, we began to meet people, our neighbours, that we'd never met before, and we didn't know them. Although we'd lived in our street for six years. And my husband, Ed, turned round to me after a couple of weeks and said, Hey, Jane, why don't we hold a barbecue and invite the whole street So I said, hey, love, we've got 50 50 houses in this street. We could have 100 people plus. But guess what? We're lucky enough to live on the part of our street, which is the turning circle. So we have a big drive. And so we asked our neighbors if they'd be up for this as well so we could share the drive. So that's what we did. And we wanted everybody to be included. And so we literally invited every single person And we wanted our girls, by then they were six and eight, and they drafted and um, drew the first invitation. So they crafted the first invitation. We had printed and we dropped it at everybody's house. This is the one that you see here. This is the one we heard last, held um, last year. So it's been going now for 10 years. We've not failed to hold the the barbecue, um, our Birch Lane barbecue. And it's such a community affair that what we did is I reached out to Ian when I was in stock and said, may we borrow the chairs and tables from the church so we could cater for everybody. And then I invited everybody to bring either um, a a salad, a main course, or a dessert. And with God's grace, everything worked out amazingly. We had enough meat, we had enough salads, and we had enough desserts for everybody. And everybody bought whatever they fancied to drink. We set the invitation up to come from one o'clock, and we thought it would finish about five. 
Unbeknown to us, about five, some more people started to drip in and they said, hey, Ed, would you fire up the Barbie again? There he is, doning his hat and, and, and um, firing up the barbecue a second time. That first night, people didn't leave until one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so year on year, it's gone on. But the thing I wanted to share this morning was as a result of this outreach, it's the impact it's had. What we found now is, A, we know everybody in our street, and by the t when we walk to the top of our road, it takes us quite some time, a little bit like when you go to Waitrose. But the thing that I love most is that some of our neighbors met each other for the very first time as a result of our barbecue. Some of them now have coffee mornings with each other, those who are retired. Some of the young people that have come as a result into the village, into, our, uh, into the street now, um, have made friends and their children have made friends because they meet and have met at our barbecue. So for me, it's the impact this community fair has had and it's a privilege for us to host it every year. Thanks, Sharon. I don't think I'm going to be quite as eloquent, but I'll try. I was talking to Ian yesterday um, about what he was going to talk about and, and about make a difference. And, and a guy that I've known for many, many, many years, who unfortunately has now passed away, um, he came to mind. Um, all his life, he was part of the Met Police. Um, for most of it, he was used to ride around on um, a horse as well. His name was Terry. But after um, I met his wife a couple of months after he passed away, and... He was always, always looking for ways to make a difference, to reach out to people. And she told me, because he wouldn't have said this, two simple ways that, that he did it. Um, probably the summer before, when it was really, really hot, what he used to do was leave jugs of iced water with cups on his doorstep so that the postman and anybody else came could partake. And, and the other one, which took a little bit more of an effort for him, was every week he used to invite, or the, well, they didn't invite, they came in the end, <clears throat> the bin men, the dustmen, as I used to call them, they used to come in and used to make them bacon butties. And that's what they, do. I don't know where they part their, their lorry, I've no idea, <laughs> but bacon butties, they came in. And, and not, I mean, he obviously, he used to share. He, after he retired, he um, joined the Magic Circle. And so he, he tended to do a lot of magic. So he used to spend a lot of time preaching or talking or, you know, witnessing to people through magic. And that's what he did to these bin men. And so, <laughs> and I couldn't get to his funeral, but I'm told it was actually heaving with um, with. Um, clowns and the magic circle and you can imagine it was an uproar. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Patsy. Thank you both for um, sharing that and uh, great examples of things, uh, some quite big things and, and, and some just small things. Leave a glass of water out for somebody. It probably means the world to them, but no one hardly ever does it. And uh, Jane, it's really, it was really interesting. I was sitting there and I thought, actually, I'm your neighbour in a sense, aren't we? We're all neighbours. <laughs> So, um, what is the date this year for the... Um... <laughs> but wonderful. And if you think about what's happened there, so, you know, Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Whenever you feed me, clothe me, 
give me a drink of water, you know. And so they're doing that, aren't they, uh, in very different ways, very simple uh, ways. So we can all look uh, for, for things that we can do. The street party uh, encouraged community, people to know one another, probably to look out for one another when the snow came. Friendship, there's a pastoral issue there as well. It impacted and shaped the culture. I bet the, I bet the bin men, you know, and one of my first illustrations here was about, you know, the the naughty neighbour that leaves the sack out the, the night before and, uh, you know, the foxes have a field day. But I bet that street was the cleanest uh, in, in uh, wherever it was uh, because they're, they're cooking and baking butties. But, you know, whatever it is, I think the point I'm trying to make, and just from two very, very um, uh, effective but simple illustrations, is that, is that all of us can make decisions about where we can look for the best uh, in, in others. And in our workplace culture or church culture, or family culture, being encouraging, helping, efficient, reliable um, in all things that we do. Think about your mindset in all the different ministries that where you are. It's not just here, it's, it's everywhere. Um, you know, we have an army uh, of volunteers here, uh, all doing it in their spare time. And I'm in awe of them. It's incredible. Um, so I want to encourage them. I don't want to be coming out of things where I think, you know, I could do better than that. If I think that, I should get on and do it. Or, or the critical spirit, looking for the discouragement rather than encouragement. We don't want that. Um, uh, leadership should be there to encourage others and to create an environment uh, for them to flourish. But equally, leadership need prayers uh, and encouragement as well. But we, all of us should adopt the spirit-filled mindset of love and support and seeking the best. That cheering on positive attitude, sometimes even when things are quite dark and not so good. We live in a consumer Society, a me-based society. And we, as Christians, I think we're called to get away from that. I think it's, uh, you know, we are called to love our neighbour as ourselves. We are allowed to look after ourselves. But we should also look out for the fellow human being. I remember when I went on a Yorkshire trip, um, when I was at uh, Spurgeon's College, I took rural mission and ministry. And um, I thought that would be a good module to take because I thought, well, I'm going up to this small, small church in stock and it's kind of rural and it would be great. Uh, but I learned about farming and, and grain and everything else. It actually didn't stand me in any good stead. And those farmers worked really hard, so it was a long day, and I wasn't very happy. Um, but uh, on the Sunday, uh, they felt like they needed to tell us we ought to go to church. I thought, you've got a load of Spurgeon students here. We're, quite, we're seeking to do it. And they gave us four options. And, um, and the most popular one was this big, charismatic church. It was meeting in, it was in um, a place called Thirsk. And they were meeting in this uh, big cinema, and it was like proper stuff, a bit hillsongy, I think. Uh, and all of them wanted to go there. Me and my uh, two friends that I was with, um, one of the options was there's this church. It was a Methodist church, uh, but their they, the roof needed doing, you know, the, the age-old uh, problem of church buildings. And so they're meeting upstairs in this pub at 11 o'clock. And so really spiritually, we worked out that if we go there at 11, at 12, the pub would open and we might have a nice warm uh, uh, lunch and, you know, loads of Diet Coke. (laughs) So um, we said, no, we we know everyone's going to go to this other one. Actually, it's not about... The consumer side is, I want to go to the best and the glamour and everything else. And we said, let's just go to this, this place. Seriously, we did so. Let's go upstairs. They've probably not got many people. And let's go and just support them. Went in. I've got to tell you, it, was, it looked really boring. There was this sort of dodgy piano that looked like it was going to fall over at any point. And the minister came in, 
And, you know, I made a judgment straight away. He's got his three-piece suit on tie, and he was about 150. And, and he, was, he took ages to get to the lectern. There was this lady playing the piano, but when I say playing, I can't play a note, but I think I probably could have done a, a bit better. And I've made some judgment. I thought, we're not going to get much out of this. And, and immediately I felt God rebuked me. No, he's here. And I asked, I said, God, will you speak to us in this? And I can't tell you how powerful that service was. There were ten people in that service, and, and we were three of them. Um, but it was really, really powerful. And we have to move away from the consumer, what I want culture, to what is God doing culture. And also I think we've got consumer choice. We've got a lot of consumer choice, sometimes um, too much. Um, you ever go to the supermarket, all these different brands, you're not sure which one to get. Well, we, we've got that in all walks of life, and I think sometimes as Christians we need to talk about not only consumer choice, but consumer responsibility. Now, how am I buying my food? Is that best for, for, the, for, the, for, for the earth? Is it best for the people making it? How can I change the culture? And the way you change the culture of, say, a supermarket is it's consumer, it's consumer responsibility. It's refusing to buy things that you know are made in, in, in not the correct way and encouraging to buy things in the way that you think are correct, ethical and sustainable. I remember on that same trip talking to the chairman of DEPFRA and um, he said to us, we did this survey and he asked uh, the people who did the shopping in the household, do they care about you know, their food being fresh? And they said, yes. And do you care about being farmed and healthy and not full of water? Yes. Brilliant. And do you think that the worker should be paid his wages? The people doing it shouldn't be slave labour. He said, yes, yes. And he said, but what's the number one influence when you go shopping? They all said price. And, and they, put, they put money before the ethical side. They put the consumer choice versus consumer responsibility. And he said to us, please go back to your churches and ask them to investigate. There's various websites you can go on about who are the ethical um, companies, and there are a lot of them. I don't know if it's still the case. He said to us at the time, Tesco's was the worst. He said, when you get your two-for-one deals, the farmers pay for that. They don't. They warn them. They say, next week it's half price, and if not, we'll cut you off. And he said at the time, and again, I'm not sure if it's still the case, Waitrose was the best. And that's where Andrew had her story, so we think we're doing the best bit for our <laughs> thing. But I don't... <laughs> I think it's just more convenient. It's got a big car park, hasn't it? Um, you can shape the culture as a consumer. You can choose fair trade or whatever you want to uh, go with. You can make those choices. And those small details, like Cade's company, when the customer says, no, this is what we need, then the companies have to make a choice. Life lived out, loving God, loving others, lived out, relying on and trusting in God. There's a, story, there's a character that I was made aware of. And uh, he had a really rough time. His family had betrayed him. I mean, really let down by his family. And uh, so he left the family in really bad circumstances. They didn't talk for years. But he thought, well, I'm going to make the best of it. And effectively, he's trying to influence his culture. And he kept honouring God. That was the first thing. Remember our two goalposts, our, 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 our divine things in, in a diverse culture. He said, I've got to love God. I've got to keep trusting God. So he kept honouring God in everything he did. And life wasn't good. But he became to be a, a person that was trusted. And so eventually he worked his way up in the company and he was put in charge. And then while he was in charge of the company, somebody else made a false accusation against him. It was wrong. Uh, but nevertheless, he was the one found guilty and he was locked up. And even in prison, 
Uh, he kept honouring God. And even in prison, he thought, I'm going to make the best of my circumstances. And he made an impact in the culture in the prison. Uh, eventually, he's freed. And uh, he worked his way up again in the company. And eventually, he was ruled. And, 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 and right at the end of the story, he actually meets his family. And he forgives them and helps them, which is incredible, although they struggled with it. Now, of course, I'm talking about the account of Joseph, found in uh, beginning Genesis 37. If you think about it, he was his dad's favourite, Joseph. Uh, his brothers were jealous of him. They felt threatened by him. He was good at dreams. They didn't like his interpretation of them. And he dreamt that he'd rule over them. He made the mistake of telling them that. Uh, so they sold, sell him into slavery, his own family. They mislead his father and they sell, sold him into slavery. And Genesis 39 verse 2 said, The Lord was with Joseph, and so he prospered, serving in Potiphar's household. The Lord was with Joseph. That's what he had to hang on to, right? Uh, Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar was uh, an official of Pharaoh. Potiphar recognised uh, the way that Joseph was, and he was trustworthy. He put him in charge of everything. And then the story goes on. Potiphar's wife, a uh, bit, bit of a minx, really, tries to seduce him, but he keeps his honour. He flees, but he's put in prison. He's found guilty anyway. We're not told that, but he's put in prison. Maybe Pot- it said Potiphar burned with anger. Maybe it was against his wife because she was forced him to do this, even though he knew it wasn't true. We don't know. Or he was angry with Joseph. We just don't know. But 39, verse, uh, chapter 39, verse 21, it says again that the Lord was with him. So he's now in prison. So he can moan about that, or he can choose to shape the culture. He's got a gift of interpreting dreams. It was put to good use while he was in prison. Later, Pharaoh was told about Joseph because he was having issues of his own. And he comes out, and eventually, through faithfulness and putting God first, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. You see the cycle uh, that he's done. But all the time, he's trying to influence the culture. And eventually, he meets his brothers again, and he forgives them. By consistently honouring God, Joseph influenced and shaped the culture wherever he found himself. It wasn't always easy. He was treated unfairly, but he shaped it even in darker times. And he wasn't, held capt- uh, uh, he wasn't held captive by circumstances to determine his front line. Uh, I've got uh, one more, I think, illustration yep, uh, to share with you. And this is another true one, which you like. It's nice for me to preach truth. You should be confident in that. Uh, but this is, um, I looked up, it's, it's a fairly old newspaper article, but it's still, it's still uh, a fact of what goes on. It's about a company, a toy shop, which you all have heard of, called The Entertainer. You'll see them on the high street. So this is the article in, in, um, in a newspaper up north somewhere. Uh, I don't know where that is. North, that is. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't. There's a nationwide toy company that has a branch on our county border. It's situated amongst all the major stores in the Middlebrook shopping complex by the M61 in Horwich. Sounds like a nice place to go. On the edge of the Middlebrook is Bolton Wanderers, uh, the Reebok Stadium. The two ventures, shops and soccer, work hand in hand. So when Bolton are playing at home to Manchester United, the retailers rub their hands at the thought of a massive crowd and lots of extra revenue. Before and after the game, the regular Middlebrook Sunday shoppers were swelled by a nearly 24,000 football crowd and some of the biggest high street chains in the country benefited from crowded stores and extra sales. All except one. All except one. This toy shop called The Entertainer, which remained shut in the face of one of the biggest Sunday trading days of the year. 
The shop has branches all over the country, 55 in all, with eight more soon to be opened, and every single one of these shops remains closed on a Sunday, despite the obvious trade that is walking past their front doors. They do so because of their owner's religious belief that the Bible instructs us to keep Sundays as a family day. We invited owner uh, Gary Grant, I can't tell you how many times I've practised that because I thought I was going to say Gary Grant, but Gary Grant, to explain his religious views to us and we found these beliefs didn't seem to affect his profit margins. As a Christian, this is what he said, I believe there should be a day of rest and Sunday is that day. As a company, we employ six to 700 people. Many of them are mums and dads, and it is important to us they get a break when they can spend time at home with their families and their children. Sunday is the family day. It wouldn't be the same if I gave them a day off in the week. For instance, if I gave them a Wednesday off, many of their children would be at school. They couldn't have their family lunch together. Gary claims his thinking comes directly from biblical teaching. God gave us ten commandments and one of them is to keep the Sabbath holy. I believe in a living and active God. He said, I've got a business that is financially viable. We pay all our bills on time and we make a profit. I can do all of that in six working days. I asked Gary how he felt about not opening his doors when a big football match is attracting so many extra customers to his front door. It could be that I had an exceptional trading day on Saturday and we'll have an outstanding day on Monday You can't pick and mix with God. You have to believe he is in control of all things and my business is viable in the high street. In the toy industry ten years ago, there were half a dozen main chains who were competitors and over the years they have closed down. Many of my competitors who are trading for seven days a week are struggling and yet we as a company are still expanding. How is that possible if the inference is that I'm losing one day's trade in a week? Gary told me he believes it is not too far an uh, extrapolation to say that those closures could be God's work. You could say that our success is in our skill and in our talent, in the way we buy things. But I believe it is about how we are comfortable in the way we run the company. There's a little verse in the Bible that says, I will honour those who honour me. God knows our heart and if we try to apply that passage with the wrong motive, I don't believe it will work. But if we apply it correctly, I don't believe God will let us down in any walk of life or any circumstances. First things first, love God. And that's the goalpost, and love others. You can shape and change the culture on your front line. The tragic recent events of Caroline Flack, this poor TV presenter who was clearly troubled but was also hounded, Um, on social media and eventually takes her own life. And it's a tragic, tragic story um, of the way that people can be uh, so vitriolic to others. Uh, But there's been an outpouring of a slogan, uh, and it's a good one, and it's something that she once posted. It said, if you're going to be anything, be kind. And I've seen loads of people post that on social media, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a fantastic message. And and that, hopefully, will uh, begin. Again, it takes a tragedy of people to think about what they say about others. Our young people uh, are suffering with with the abuse that goes on social media like us adults never, ever had. And they're they're vulnerable, and it can really affect them. And it affected somebody that we thought was okay. Uh, But if something can come out of it and we can say, well, if be anything, be kind, that's got to be a good thing. But, But... 
and it's great to shape our culture, and of course it is, but shouldn't we be leading the way? Didn't Paul say that over 2,000 years ago? But the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, and we need more kindness in the world. Do we really need to be told? Do we really need a Grenfell Tower? Do we really need a suicide before we recapture the Christian values that God has given us and asked us to work out through the spirit that works so fiercely within us? Do we really need to be told? Sometimes I think, yes, we do. Because I I hear things and I see things and they're just sometimes unkind. But we can make a difference and you can make a difference and you can shape your culture. I really believe that. I'm going to pray for us and ask Katie to come up and lead us in response. Father, we thank you for your word and and we thank you, Lord, that you you bring us into your great mission, the Missio Dei, the mission of God. We thank you that you send us into the world scattered and in all the circumstances we're in, the moment we leave this place, we can make a difference. And I pray, Lord, you'll give us opportunities where we can spot those times where we can shape a culture. We can be positive, not negative. We can be encouraging, not discouraging. We can think the best, not think the worst. We can speak up for those. We can not join in when people are being bullied or gossiped about. I pray, Lord, we'll shape a culture of goodness, of godness, wherever we are. Pray your blessing on everyone here. Pray, fill them with your spirit, Lord, and, and, and help them be excited about the opportunities they can have, whether it's serving someone a cup of water, running a barbecue, speaking up in the office, speaking up in the church, speaking up in the family. Uh, just making a difference, Lord. I thank you that if a third of, of this population is earth are, are Christians, the amazing impact that can have on our culture. In Jesus' name, amen.